Today's show brought to you by Redcon1.com. That's right. Click the link at the bottom of the podcast app in which you are listening to this on. Check them out. Use promo code T20Cordimus. That's right. Redcon1.com. There's nothing special about being American. None of you can define for me what an American is. I am the nation. I was born on July 4th, 1776, and the Declaration of Independence is my birth certificate. The bloodlines of the world run in my veins because I offered freedom to the oppressed. I am many things and many people. I am the nation. I am 200 million living souls and the ghost of millions who have lived and died for me. I am Nathan Hale and Paul Revere. I stood at Lexington and fired the shot heard round the world. I'm Washington, Jefferson, Patrick Henry. I'm John Paul Jones, the Green Mountain Boys, David Crockett. Coming to you from the D-Town Studios in the free state of Florida, sponsored by Maker's Mark Bourbon, this is Don't Tread on America. Don Q. Happy Monday. It's May 22nd, 2023. Y'all let it rock. Here we go. How's everybody doing out there today? It is Monday, like I said, Monday. Sorry about the Friday show. Uh, forgot I had tickets to the baseball game and uh, just didn't have time to do a show. So, yeah, there's that. Yeah, anywho, raised one, so it all worked out. All right, so what are we going to talk about today? Um... I got a pretty good show, I think. I, I ran upon something that um, not a lot of people... I mean, I've never heard about prior to me doing this research. And uh, as I was reading about this particular subject, um, <laughs> it started to make sense. <laughs> a lot of the stuff that's going on lately is starting to make sense. And hopefully it will for you, too. Uh, before we get into that, let's touch a couple of our bases here. We want to get our next other sponsor out of the way so we can just get the show going here. Christian Lawson. Check them out at Christian Lawson Watches. ChristianLawson.com. Use promo code DTOM at the checkout. Get 30% off your purchase price. Ladies, Father's Day is right around the co- corner. Don't don't drop the ball like he did for you. Check them out. ChristianLawson.com. And also, guys, whatever uh, podcast app you're listening to this on, if you could please... Share this with your friends. Follow, subscribe to the show. It doesn't cost you a penny. Not one red cent. Follow the show. Share it with your friends. Share it with people that uh, 
maybe don't really know what the hell's going on, and maybe this will help them make a little bit more sense about what is going on, and um, yeah, help 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 a brother out. You know what I'm saying? Come on. Uh, also, if you're on social media, follow us on TikTok. Uh, what are we on here? <laughs> Facebook, Instagram, and the ticker talker at Don't Trade on America. And on the uh, Twitter machine at DTOM underscore 1775. And if you're not on social media, you can follow us at our website at DontTreadOnAmerica.com. You can subscribe to the website. And I will not spam you. i got to get a drink. Hold on. Oh, yeah. I will not spam you. You will uh, just get show updates and, you know, any blogs or anything that I do. As such, um, and then from any of those situations, you can message the show. You can email. I feel whistly. <laughs> uh, you can message the show. You can uh, contact me if you have anything you want to say, any stories in your area that you would like for me to look at, maybe cover uh, oddities or rarities or whatever teas they might be. Send them my way, and we'll check them out. All right. Let's get to it. All right. Have you ever heard of the Cloward and Piven strategy? Probably not. I mean, not saying that no one has. You're not saying you're stupid. But I <laughs> I'm not the smallest man, but I'll say this. Um in doing this show for the last couple of years now, we do a lot of research. We've stumbled upon a lot of stuff. And this one just popped up the other day. And I thought that it would be interesting as I read this. Now, I'm going to read this this story um, about who these people are, where they're from, and what they have to do with the price of tea in China. Okay? Then, as I'm reading this stuff... Try and connect the dots to what we're looking at right now. So, the uh, Cloward and Piven strategy was first proposed in 1966. So, we'll stop right there. Damn near 60 years ago. Okay? And named after Columbia University sociologist Richard Andrew Cloward and his wife, Frances Fox Piven. Both longtime members of the Democratic Socialist of America, where Piven today is an honorary chair. The Cloward Piven strategy seeks to hasten the fall of capitalism by overloading the government bureaucracy with a flood of impossible demands, thus pushing society into crisis and economic collapse. Inspired by the August 65 riots, in a black district of Watts in Los Angeles, which erupted after a police used batons to subdue a black man suspected of drunk driving. Cloward and Piven uh, published the article titled The Weight of the Poor, A Strategy to End Poverty. This was, when a, this was in a May 2, 1966 issue of The Nation. Following its publication, The Nation sold an unprecedented 30,000 reprints. Activists were buzz over the so-called crisis strategy, or Cloward-Piven strategy as it became to, came to be called. Many were eager to put it into effect. 
In their 1966 article, Cloward and Piven charged that ruling classes used welfare to weaken the poor, that by, that by <laughs> providing a social safety net, the rich doused the fires of re, uh, rebel, re, rebellion. <laughs> rebellion. Poor people can only advance when the rest of society is afraid of them, Clower told the New York Times on September 27, 1970. Rather than placating the poor with government handouts, wrote Cloward and Piven, activists should work to sabotage and destroy the welfare system. The authors also asserted that the collapse of the welfare state would ignite a political and financial crisis that would rock the country. Poor people would rise in revolt, and um, only then would the rest of society accept their, de accept <laughs> their demands. So does any of this sound familiar? We uh, <laughs> we look at what's going on right now, and and I'm going to tie this strategy. This is obviously but of one strategy. This is just one thing in a, in conjunction with a lot of other things going on, and we're going to tie it all together somehow or another. I'm going to figure it out. Just stick with me. All right. So I wanted to get a little music playing in the background here. <clears throat> Cuts down on some of the noise. It gets very quiet as I'm reading and trying to uh, read, you know, because reading's hard, man. Come on. All right, so here, here we go. The key to uh, sparking this rebellion would be to expose the inherent inat inadequacy of the welfare state. In this regard, Cloud, Cloward Piven, early promoters, cited... Radical organiza uh, organizer Sal Alinsky. I, I swear I was fine just two seconds ago. Now I'm going to hiccup and burp, and that's awesome. That's awesome. It's good radio. That's what it is. Sal uh, Alinsky, as their inspiration, make the enemy live up to their own book of rules. Alinsky wrote in his uh, 71 book, Rules for Radicals. When pressed to honor every word of every law and statute, every Judeo-Christian moral tenet, and every implicit promise of the liberal social contract, human agencies inevitably fall short. The system, the system's failure to live up to its rule book, uh, can then be used to discredit it altogether and replace it, replace the capitalist rule book, quote unquote, with a socialist one. Okay, before we go on, if you if you don't know who Saul Alinsky is. He is a douchebag. No, he was a uh, is was I think he's dead. I'm not sure, but whatever. Uh, he was born to Russian Jewish parents in Chicago in 1909. Uh, probably dead then. <laughs> but was personally agnostic regarding religion. Author and political commentator uh, David Horowitz writes that Alinsky came of age in the 30s as a communist fellow travelers biographer. Blah blah blah. So he was a Essentially a communist, so he was part of the Communist Party, Young Communist League, wrote books, uh, philosophizer, he philosophized. Uh, most importantly, though, he identified a set of very specific rules that ordinary citizens could follow and tactics that ordinary citizens could employ as means to gaining public power. He also created a blueprint for revolution under the banner of, quote-unquote, social change, right? Two 
of his most notable modern-day disciples are Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama. So, keep those things in mind. You have two radical, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say scientists. What were they? They were, uh, they were people, right? <laughs> Sociologists, right? That came up with an idea, a lot of which was based around the, the works of Saul Alinsky. Maybe they studied a lot of his books because you figure this was in the late 60s. Alinsky wrote stuff back in the 30s, 40s, 50s, you know. So, I mean, these are connecting. Then you have a former president, a former almost president, slash secretary of state, slash senator, slash my damn wife. Um, you have these situations. <laughs> you We talk about who's in the White House now. And who's controlling him? Is is Biden doing this all on his own? Or is Obama in his ear? Is Hillary in his ear? Are these people involved still? And even if they're not technically involved, like, you know, controlling a robot, so to speak, it could be a situation of... So he, uh, Alinsky, wrote rules uh, a blueprint for revolution under the banner of social change, right? That social change is something that we hear about almost on a daily basis based around Black Lives Matter and just different situations, the uh, pride stuff, the, the transvestite stuff, the abortion stuff, the think about anything socially changing that's being rammed down your throat on a daily basis, whether it's through the news through advertising, through walking into Target, through your maybe possibly your job, you know, whatever the case may be, and or watching sports, you know, with the Black Lives Matter situation and and all that stuff. And then to know that you had a president at the time who studied his tutelage under the person who created this whole situation, on top of the fact you have two people that were promoting collapsing the welfare system. Now, you could sit here and say, well, I'm on welfare or my cousin's on welfare or, you know, I was on welfare, whatever the case may be. And uh, we don't want that to collapse because that's the only way, you know, some people survive. And, that, and that's true. So you have to ask the question, well, if a percentage, and I have the numbers and we'll go over them in a second here, of the country is under a welfare state. Now, what does that mean? So a welfare state could be any combination of, of all of these things. It could be all of them, one of them, two of them, whatever. But you figure people that are getting, like, uh, food stamps, uh, free, you know, free health insurance through the government. You might be getting so, uh, SSI. You might be getting... Now, you could say, well, Social Security, I paid in on that. But there's people that get Social Security help that... I'm not talking about like your mom or your grandparents or whatever that's like 60, 70 years old getting Social Security. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the lady who has, you know, five kids and she gets SSI for those five kids, right? And doesn't work because she's got five kids and so on and so forth. And I'm not, I'm not dismissing any of these people. Some of them, yeah, some of them are pieces of shit and they're, they're gaming the system. I get that. 
But regardless of that fact, if um, if if welfare, quote unquote, if, if that whole situation goes away, what about those people? Well, because there's an ulterior plan. Okay. Um, Cloward and Piven noted that a number of Americans uh, subsisting on welfare. And this was, you know, of course, back in the 60s. So it was about 8 million at that time. The number's a lot higher now. Probably represented less than half of the number who were technically eligible for benefits. So if at the time there was 8 million people on welfare, and they're estimating that that number was half of what could have been on welfare, for whatever reason the other 8 million people weren't whether they chose not to uh didn't know how to whatever the case may be um thus the authors proposed a massive drive to recruit the poor onto welfare rolls calculating that the system would be bankrupt if even a fraction of potential welfare recipients were to demand their entitlements the result predicted in cloud and piven would be a profound financial and political crisis that would unleash powerful forces for economic, for major economic reform at the national leather leather level. <laughs> you know, words are hard sometimes. People, leave me alone. I've been up since what time? I get up ten. I've been up since ten last night. Screw y'all. <laughs> the Cloward Pivot article called for cadres of aggressive organizer to use demonstrations to create a climate of militancy. Then the authors predicted the following would happen. Politicians immediate, intimidated by threats of black violence would appeal to a federal government for help. Carefully, now before I read on here, that obviously shows that these people, back in the 60s when they wrote this, just assumed that all of these welfare recipients would be black. So that kind of shows you what type of people you're dealing with back then. These were obviously racist, racist people. I'm not saying that black people aren't on welfare and whatever, but we all know that they're not the only ones. But their assumption, their assumption would be that if they were able to Im- implement this, that the, the blacks would go crazy <clears throat> and violence and whatever, and they would have to get federal government for help carefully orchestrated media campaigns carried out by friendly left-wing journalists would float the idea of a federal program of income income redistribution in the form of a guaranteed living income for all working and non-working people alike local officials would clutch at this idea like drowning men to a lifeline they would apply pressure on washington to implement it with every major city erupting in chaos, Washington would have to act. So now this is back in the 60s. They're talking about basically a universal income, right? Now, you could say, Don, that was almost 60 years ago. That They're not doing that yet. I've told you guys time and time again that nothing happens with these people overnight. It's a plan. I mean, Cloward is dead. He died, I think it was 02. His wife is still kicking and going on, and she's still pushing the agenda. But these people 
don't have to be alive to implement the situation that they're such pushing. That's the point of teaching. You you take a Hillary Clinton and an Obama under your wing. Now you can say, well, Hillary Clinton's old as shit. She's, what, 70-something years old? Obama's no spring chicken. I mean, he's younger than Hillary, but it's not even about them. <laughs> it's about getting people in power to implement these things because they don't care that it happens while they're alive. They just want it to happen. You see, we, we confuse evil, quote-unquote evil, with being alive. Like, we, we have this de depiction in our head that when someone is evil, they're there to rule over their evil. And it's not about that. It's about just being a legacy, so to speak. So the Cloward Pivot Strategy was an example of what commonly called the Trojan Horse Initiatives. Mass movement, movements whose outward purpose seems to be providing material help to the downtrodden, but whose real objective is to draft poor people into service as revolutionary foot soldiers to mobilize poor people in mass in an effort to overwhelm the government agencies with a flood of demands beyond capacity for those agencies to meet. Cloward and Piven calculated that the flood of demands which they were recommending would break the budget, jam the bureaucracy gears into gridlock, and bring the system crashing down. Fear, turmoil, violence, economic collapse would accompany such a breakdown, pivoting perfect conditions for fostering radical change. That was their theory. Okay, so I'm going to stop again. Think about it. Think about what's going on right now. We talk about CBDCs, digital currency, the dollar devaluing. I haven't even talked about the border, but think about that. If you want to crash the system with poor people, whatever color, that that are uh, have their hand out, essentially, and <laughs> you've been trying for 50-some-odd years to make that happen with Americans, with white and black and Hispanic and whatever, whatever nationality or color person that that lives here in america that's an illegal that's a that's a legal citizen and it hasn't worked yet it's 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 had its moments but it hasn't worked what's the next best thing you flood your country with illegals and the crazy thing is is obviously people crossing the border isn't anything new right that's not like this just started happening this as much as we can sit here and blame biden it's not like it just started, right? Now, mind you, under Trump, it was under control, which might be another reason a lot of people hated Trump. Forget about the things he says and how he acts. When I say people hated him, I'm talking about these people, these Cloward and Piven strategists, so to speak. Hillary Clinton, Obama, these Sawalinsky disciples hated him because he was stopping their progress. He was shutting down the border. He was bringing jobs back to this country. And I'm not sitting here on the Trump bandwagon. The facts, facts are facts, right? To the point where as soon as he lost the election, the people flooded the border again. 
And every month since he since Biden's been in office, there's been record numbers of of illegals coming into this country. Is it a situation where they're trying to overload the system? And you can sit here and say, well, Clyde and Piven weren't president or senators or congresspeople or whatever. Yeah. okay, I get you. And you could honestly a, a rational person would sit here and have the conversation and say, why in the world would the president, whoever that person is, whether it's Biden or whoever. Why would that person want to crash the system? Why would it? Because it's not about. It's not about. We we got to stop thinking rational. You've got to think radical. These people. It's not about being the president. It's about putting those people in those powers, whether it's presidents, senators, whatever, to implement these situations. It's putting judges in courts. It's it's not about one person. It's a system. It's a system of destruction, right? <laughs> You've got to look past the one person. This isn't the Wizard of Oz. There's not a man behind the curtain. There's men. There's people. There's a shit ton of them. And they're working in unison. And as time progresses, you have one person turns into five people. And five people turn into 20 people. And 20 per, you know, and, it's a, and, and so you don't have a Cloward Piven for example, working by themselves, you have Cloward Piven, who were, te- you know, professors at Columbia University, who probably taught thousands of kids through their time at school. In '66 is when they wrote this paper. It's not like they just came up with the idea in '66 and said, "Hey, let's write that down." This is probably something they have been teaching. They just finally wrote it down. So, how many people did they? radicalize how many people did Salinsky radicalize with these ideas and then if you have Cloward Piven's ideas bam you have Salinsky's ideas some the same some different but you combine that all together and then you just keep on adding shit to the recipe right before you know you have the pasta the the dish is overflowing with bullshit and you have this person's idea he'll let's do some universal light let's do Obamacare Let's do universal health care. Let's do universal. Think about it. Think about all the things that have happened that you can recall in the last 20 years. It all stems around these people. (laughs) And then, once again, you have to ask the question, why? What would be the purpose to blow up the system? So... Cloward, basically, before I read on, Cloward and Piven, you got to think back, their thought process was more about equality for all. And which which was weird because, like I had read, it said about the, the universal income for working and non working. So if you worked, now I don't know how the universal, if it was a basic flat rate like everyone got a thousand dollars a month or whatever that number was or if it was depending on income you got whatever because if it was a flat rate like if everyone got a thousand dollars a month or five thousand whatever that dollar amount is but then you work (laughs) you're getting an extra couple grand a month that's okay whatever but who's gonna pay for it so (laughs) we've heard lately of states and cities and talking about reparations right well that's kind of part of this and i don't want to get into the whole reparations things that's a whole another situation 
it's like <laughs> we want to implement all these programs of spending money. Who is going to pay for that? Hell, Biden was on TV the other day uh, talking about the debt ceiling, not to get off the subject. But uh, his, his focus, so the, the focus of the Republicans in that whole debt ceiling situation is for the government to cut spending, right? Okay, you're, and, and it's, simple, it's simple math. It's simple how you run your household math. Okay, I got to pay you know, the mortgage or the rent, whatever you have. Okay, I got to pay that. I got to pay car payment. I got to pay insurance. I got to pay phone. You know, if you have cable, you know, whatever you have to pay every month. Every month you have the same bills, right? Okay, so those bills come up to, you know, $3,000 a month. And I'm only going to bring home 3200 this month, right? Well, technically, you have enough to pay your bills, but now you only have $200 to live the, the month on. That's your gas, your groceries, that's everything. And that's and that seems weird, but there are people. I mean, I at one time in my life lived like that, where I only had forty, fifty bucks a week to make it through till the next week to only have 30, you know, forty or fifty bucks. So there's a lot of people that live like that, and there's a lot of people that had that three thousand dollar bill and only have twenty eight hundred dollars, twenty five, whatever the case may be. And what you would do at that point. Right. As a normal human being, you would say, OK, well, maybe uh, we cancel the cable. Maybe we, you know, whatever the case may be, you start cutting back on the things you're spending that you don't really need. Right. Um, <clears throat> or. Right. Or I guess if, if possible, you go get a second job. Right, and we see a lot of people doing that nowadays. So, if you turn that into the government, McCarthy and the Republicans want to cut spending, so they want to cut the cell phone bills, and they want to cut the cable bills, and they want to cut these bills. Obviously, we still got to pay the rent, we got to pay those things. But uh, Biden's like, yeah, well, you know, we can cut spending, but maybe we need to look at our income. Okay, well, the government's not going to go get a second job, right? Biden's going to be flipping burgers at McDonald's part-time and throw a little extra money in the coffers. It's not how it works. You, me, and everyone else you know is their base of income. Okay, so if there's 330-whatever million people in this country, we all pay taxes, whether you work whether you go to the grocery store, whether you buy stuff, we all pay taxes, right? Every one of us. How is the government going to increase their income? Taxes, right? <laughs> I mean, it's pretty simple, right? They're, they're not working. They're not going to get a second job. You are their job. You are their income. So if they need you up their income... They're coming after you for their income. And that's not sitting well. And that's awful what we have going on right now. Forget about universal income. Forget about <laughs> reparations. Forget about all these other things that, are, that would cost trillions of dollars. So, um, Cloward and Piven recruited a, a militant black organizer named George Wiley. To lead their new movement, three men, January 66, 
at a so-called Poor People's War Council on Poverty. A uh, radical organizers meeting in Syracuse, New York, Wiley listed, listened I'm sorry, to the Cloward-Piven plan with interest. That same month, he launched his own activist group, <laughs> the uh, Washington, D.C.-based Poverty Rights Action Center. We've heard of them, right? In a calculated show of militants, Wiley sported dashikis, jeans, battered shoes, and a newly grown afro. Regarding the Cloward Piven strategy, Wiley told the audience, this is his words, A lot of us have been hampered in our thinking about the potential here by our own middle class backgrounds. And I think most activists basically come out of the middle class backgrounds and we're oriented towards people having to work and that we have to get as many people as possible off of welfare rolls. However, I think that this Cloward Piven strategy is going to catch on and be very important in, a time, in the time ahead. After a series of mass marches and rallies by welfare recipients in June of 66, Wiley proudly declared the birth of, of the welfare rights movement. Cloward and Piven publicly outlined their strategy in the second annual Social Scholars, Scholars Conference held in September 66 at New York City Hotel Commodore. In the summer of 67, Wiley founded the National Welfare Rights uh, Organization. Write that down. Uh, the uh, blah, 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 NWRO. His tactics closely follow the recommendations set out by Cloward and Piven's articles. While his followers invaded welfare offices across the uh, United States, often violently, blah, blah, blah. So let me just kind of breeze through this real quick. So obviously it was, a, it was a situation through the late 60s, early 70s, where you had a bunch of riots and, and, and uh, uh, demonstrations and, and so on and so forth. And they focused a lot of these things, a lot of these demonstrations, in major cities. And it's a situation of, so in 66, Cloward and Piven had given special attention to New York City, whose masses of urban poor, leftist in intelligency, and a free-spending politicians re rendering a uniquely vulnerable to the strategy that the authors proposed at this time, New York City agencies, welfare agencies, we're paying about $20 million per year in quote-unquote special grants. Clower and Piven estimated that they could multiply these expenditures tenfold or more, thereby draining an additional $180 million annually from the city's coffers. Now, this was back in 66. So you want to focus in your blue cities, your, your big cities that are highly populated, usually run by democratic free-spending mayors and it's beyond the state it has nothing to do with the state of new york or illinois or california or whatever not to say that most of these states because we hear we hear the term blue city we hear the term blue states and we say chicago blue city well it's in a blue state new york blue city blue state california blue city blue state but then you get into like texas and you have dallas and austin blue cities Red State, Nashville, Blue City, Red State. In Florida, most of the major cities here are what you would call Blue City in a red state. Now, 
you focus on these because usually you guys know this no matter where you live whether it's this country or not your major cities your major metropolitan cities have more of your homeless have more of your downtrodden and why is that i I don't know i would assume it's ease of access right If, if i'm homeless I don't want to be out in the sticks because I'm not going to get many handouts out there, right? Uh, in the city, I'm going to get handouts. Out in the country, they're going to put me to work. <laughs> so, in essence, what does it all mean? So, think about everything that's going on right now, okay? And that's why I'm talking about major cities. So, you talk about Chicago, New York, you know, whatever. And what's happening in these cities right now? Well, we have a migrant issue, right? So for years, we've had migrant issues. I mean, I live in Florida, right? And we have migrants floating in from Cuba and Dominican and wherever. Granted, it's not the numbers are nowhere near what you see crossing the border in like Texas and and, and New Mexico and Arizona. But... Nonetheless, so when these people for for however many years would cross in, let's just use Texas for an example. A lot of times they stayed in that general vicinity. They stayed in Texas or Oklahoma. A lot of these people, I mean, not for nothing, get into agriculture, right? They're picking fruits, they're picking vegetables. So obviously they're going to kind of be nomadic, right? They might come to Florida and the in the early winter in January, February, and pick, you know, uh, oranges, and then stay through February, March, April, and pick strawberries, and then usually they move up into Georgia and to pick peaches, and South Carolina, and North Carolina, you know, and they kind of bounce around, because not everyone picks whatever their cash crop is at the same time. It varies from month to month, right, depending on the state, and cold, and warm, and so on and so forth. But lately, we've seen these people being bussed to New York and Martha's Vineyard and Chicago and so on and so forth. Now, is this part of the plan? Well, Don, in order for that to be the case, then DeSantis would be involved and the governor from Texas would be involved. Okay, well, who's to say they're not? I'm not beating a drum for any politician right now. I'm waiting to see how things work out. I, I mean, I, I'm not going to sit here and talk shit about DeSantis for the fact that for the past five and a half years, he's been the governor of the state and things have been pretty damn good. A lot of the problems that we're having are beyond his control. Yeah, you can make the argument, well, he locked down the state. Okay. Yeah. Okay, he did. So did most of the rest of the country. And most of those governors that did that was done under the guides of what they were told by their president, Donald Trump. Okay, so you can blame DeSantis, you can blame Trump, you can blame them all. Now, granted, you had some governors that said, fuck that shit, we're not closing down anything. Cool. I'm glad. I'll give DeSantis credit in the fact that we were very close, we were closed for a very short amount of time. It was only a couple of weeks, and he started opening shit back up because he's like, this ain't working. But, um, I, I mean, I don't know. And, and, <laughs> and realistically... DeSantis and Abbott, you know, these people, these governors might be sending these migrants to wherever, unbeknownst to them of any 
Cloward Piven strategy. <laughs> they might just be doing it to be like, fuck y'all, you want to be sanctuary cities? Here you go. And that very well may be the case. I'm not saying it's not. I'm not saying it is, but very well could be. It has nothing to do with the Cloward Piven as far as the Santos and Abbott and these other governors are concerned. It just happens to be that you have New York and New York State and New York City and and uh, Martha's Vineyard and all these different places. Oh, we're Sanctuary City. We love everybody. Oh, everybody. Until everybody shows up at their fucking doorstep. Then they're like, hey, wait a second. So this was out of New York City here. 4,200 migrants arrived in New York City last week alone. And officials here are scrambling to find them housing. Some migrants will now be housed in hotels in the city and upstate, others inside schools and gyms, all amid much pushback and outrage from the communities and local leaders. Joining us right now from City Hall, Mayor Eric Adams, nice to have you back on Good Day. Thank you, Rosanna. It's good to see you both. Mayor, how would you describe the migrant crisis here in New York City right now? Uh, I think the same way I have been describing it uh, for uh, several months now. I'm really calling on all of us to take notice that this is going to impact every city service that we deliver to the people of this city. And it's just wrong. Uh, New York City should not be carrying a burden of a national problem. At what point do you say we cannot accept any more migrants, we've done our share, and you actually challenge the right to shelter law. Uh, we are saying that now that we've done our share. And but but are you doing the legal action to challenge the right to shelter law? Here's what we did. I put out an executive order to look at aspects of the right to shelter to make sure that we are not treating this migrant a crisis of uh, the way the right to shelter law was put in place to do uh, 40 years ago no one would have phantom that you would get 65,000 people showing up at uh, the city's doorsteps over 4,200 as you stated just this week alone and so we have to make sure we treat this as the man-made humanitarian crisis that it is all right there you go so now everyone's crying the blues because now we got to pay some money and we're having to do this and we're having to do that. And, and I get it, but <laughs> you didn't have any problem with it until it came to your doorstep. So what the hell happened to this article? It like shrunk. It's weird. <laughs> All right, so the unfettered U.S. southern frontier crisis and the Cloward Piven strategy, right? The continuous predicament at the U.S. southern frontier witness, witnessing a surge in unlawful migration and illicit trafficking of narcotics and armaments provides fertile soil for the Cloward Piven strategy implementation. The incessant influx of undocumented immigrants applies immense strain on the U.S. welfare and social services infrastructure consistently or consequently depleting resources and exacerbating the societal tensions. This dude obviously used a thesaurus. Anyway, <laughs> Cloward Piven advocates capitalized on the scenario of championing porous frontiers and inciting more individuals to infiltrate the United States illegally by advocating for the um, disintegration of the immigration enforcement. They aspire to endanger chaos or in, not endanger 
engender chaos and instability, ultimately dismantling the U.S. system and laying the foundation for radical reforms that grant the government augmented control over the populace. So, what are the perils? What can be the perils of the Cloward-Piven strategy? So, obviously, economic implosion, right? Overburdening the welfare system and other social services can uh, precipitate economic implosion and the unsustainable fiscal responsibility of sustaining burgeoning number of welfare recipients can lead to Augmented taxes, inflation, and the slump of aggregated economic expansion. <laughs> so, when I'm reading you stuff, okay? Now, this article is relatively new, but like the other thing was two years old. These are, these are things that have been in plan for almost 60 years. The thing is, is we can have this conversation about Cloward Piven and Olinsky and whoever and you're thinking okay like i said that was 60 years ago why why now it's because it's been building like i said nothing with these people happens overnight but when it does happen you see it like it happened overnight social term term oil <laughs> as resources dwindle and tensions escalate social turmoil may arise the schisms engendered by the Clower Pilvin tra- uh, strategy, can trigger a spike in criminality, hostility, and civil ag- ag- agitation. Aggregation. So, right, we're seeing criminality, right? Shootings, school shootings, mass shootings, grocery store shootings. Have you noticed that a lot of these shootings lately haven't been by your stereotypical white dude, as much as they want to say, oh, he was a white guy, that he was clearly Hispanic? <laughs> right? He was clearly a black person. He was clearly... I mean, I'm not saying that white people don't do mass shootings. I'm just saying the typical... I should say through history, the typical mass shooter has been a white person, white man. Right? But lately, not so much. Um, And I'm not even talking about like gang situations and you know, Chicago or whatever. I'm just talking about your publicized mass shootings, right? The last one that was publicized was a white female who, whatever, whatever, transvestite, whatever. She was still not a white male. She might want to have been, but she wasn't. But last two, last two of memory, which was just a couple weeks ago, were both Hispanic males. And then a Hispanic male runs over a bunch of people in Brownsville, Texas. And that, you see what I'm saying? Now, were these illegal immigrants? I'm not saying that. I don't think it has anything to do with that. I just think the overrun of these, of these situations is exactly what they wanted. Of course, back in 66, they focused on the black community because it was a different time. Now, the focus is around immigrants because obviously... The people that are here legally, whether you're white, black, Hispanic, whatever you are, and you might be having tough times and you're on uh, the welfare system, whether you get food stamps or whatever the case may be, you're still able to make it. There's still a sense of pride. You're still, still able to get things done, right? So if you bring in two, 300,000 
illegals every month that you know about. <laughs> right? These are the people that we know about. Uh, you're crashing the shit out of the system at one time. What was it last year? A one and a half, 1.3 million crossed that we know about? So a sovereignty erosion comes from that by endorsing poor sporters and the dissolution of immigration enforcement. Cloward Piven promotes undermining the national sovereignty. This flagrant disregard for the rule of law could ultimately render the U.S. a collapsed state with its government incapable of maintaining dominion and safeguarding its citizenry. (laughs) So... The Clower Piven strategy is a perilous and indigenous scheme that jeopardizes the very essence of the American society by exploiting the unfettered U.S. southern border crisis. Its proponents endeavor to destabilize the nation, dismantle the prevailing system, and impose absolute government control. As conservatives, we must safeguard our nation's principles, liberty, and affluence. To counteract the Cloward Piven strategy and its detrimental ramifications on the United States, we must undertake the following measures. Fortify border security. Right? Revamp the welfare system. We must advocate for judicious welfare reforms that foster self-reliance and industriousness. So, what's happening right now? What What is one of the talks going on in Congress? Right? proof of work right and i've always been a proponent of i don't mind helping people that help themselves if you're working and you're trying and you're doing your damnedest but sometimes mcdonald's doesn't pay the bills dollar general doesn't pay you know just low income jobs don't pay the bills because the bills are getting crazy you're busting your ass. You're working 40 hours. Maybe you're working two jobs. Maybe you're working a full-time doing whatever and a part-time flipping burgers for another 20 hours. And you're still not getting it done because we're at a... I don't give a fuck what the, what the, 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 the they <laughs> are saying about inflation. We know it's more around the 15 to 20% range if you count for the last three years that we've been dealing with this bullshit. Your rent, if you pay rent, okay, if you live in an apartment or you rent a house or whatever the case may be, you personally have probably seen your rent damn near double in the last couple of years, right? If you're, if you were struggling and your rent was $600 a month and now it's twelve or $1,500 a month, you're struggling like a motherfucker, right? You have some people that might own their house. And they pay, uh, you know, they have a mortgage on their house and they have an arm mortgage, just a rate, right? So, like, our mortgage at our house is a flat rate. It's, I think we're financed at, like, 2% or some shit like that because we've refinanced before shit hit the fan a couple of years ago. So, our mortgage is relatively cheap. Um, but you have some people that have half the house that we have. And their mortgage is twice what we pay. And it's like, and it goes up every every time you hear the Fed get up there, we're going to raise another quarter. We're going to raise another point. We're going to raise it here. We're going to raise it there. These people that have these arms, these adjustable rate mortgages, 
their mortgage goes, their percentage goes up. If you have an APR adjustable percentage rate on your credit card, it goes up. Have you tried to buy a car lately? <laughs> right? Um, champion legal, legal immigration. Concentrating on legal immigration and executing merit-based policies enables the United States to welcome and that's the thing. We've been saying that on this show for a while, and I'm not saying we've started the revolution. But I have no problem if you're from wherever and you want to come to this country and live a better life. You're from the Middle East. You're from you know, South America, Central America. You're from wherever. I don't care. Knock on the door. Hey, can I please come in? I want a better life for my family, for me and my family. Uh, these are my skills. I'm a carpenter i'm a plumber i'm a whatever whatever my wife's a teacher she speaks she's bilingual she does this she does that i'm a doctor i'm a dentist i'm a you know whatever whatever show uh, and 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 this isn't radical because let me tell you this move to one of their countries i know why why would i want to do that I'll, i'll break it down to you like this move to europe I want to move to England. I want to, I want to, I'm, you know, move into England because I just think it's awesome and I want to be part of that whole situation. So I'm moving to England. When you go to England, you just can't walk in the front door and say, I'm going to live here. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. Shockingly enough, and America's the assholes, right? Every country does this except for us. You show up at whatever country you, I want to live here now. You have to go through a battery of whys. Why do you want to be here? What can you do for us? You know what I'm saying? And then they determine whether you're worthy of living in their country. But we're the assholes when we send people back. You know, cross into Mexico. How about that one? Illegally cross as an American citizen, illegally cross into Mexico. See what happens to you. <laughs> you get thrown in jail with the quickness. Okay? So why is it us? Why why is why is <laughs> why do we have to burden any other country would not let this happen? But here we are. Legal immigration's the key. I don't care if you come here, just do it the right way. Enlightening the public, elevating awareness of the Cloward-Piven strategy and its perils to, uh, is vital to counter its sway. So me doing this show is elevating awareness. So what you need to do is share this show with your friends. Let them know that everything that we're seeing happen, and yeah, we can blame Biden, we can call uh, heel, uh, what's her name? Heels up Harris, right? We can call Camelton. We can call her. We can say, all oh, these people are to blame. Look at it's all Biden's fault. No, I, I, I hate to say that it's not necessarily all his fault. This was a plan that was in place. He is just the dummy sitting there like, like he's the man. He's nothing. He's a clown. By addressing these concerns, we can effectively neutralize the Cloward-Piven strategy 
and safeguard our nation's future. As conservatives, we must remain watchful and resolute in our commitment to provide, uh, preserving the tenets of limited government, individual liberty, and free market capitalism that have rendered the United States a bastion of prosperity and freedom across the globe. So, in essence, it's like this. We're screwed. So, let me see. I want to read this one other thing. So, well, this was an article that broke uh, about two weeks ago. This is out of the Wall Street Journal. It says, America's welfare, America's welfare state is on borrowed time. Biden has fully embraced the mad goal of giving 98% of the population lavish benefits at no cost. So, without going through this whole thing, uh, he, like I said, he's looking to raise taxes on the middle class, which he said no one would ever have to do if you didn't make over, what was it, $400,000, right? Forget that. I said this on a show a while back. If you're buying food, if you're going to the grocery store, if you're doing whatever, you're already paying higher taxes. It's called inflation. So here's a person that's your president who we don't know that he's a student of Alinsky or the Cloward Piven strategy, but one would summonize, summonize, Simonize? No, it's Waxman. Uh, some could come to the uh, cl- conclusion <laughs> that uh, being he was Obama's vice president for eight years, he's probably heard a little something about something about doing these things. Whether he's come up with this grand idea or it was just something placed in his head, I would f- think the latter. But um, they're trying to implement it. And the thing is, is much like a lot of the things we talk about on this show, it's going to be done under the guides of convenience. It's for your, it's for your own good. Now, <clears throat> the difference between years ago, you heard like Andrew, w- Andrew, Andrew Wang, or Yang, not Wang. <laughs> I, sorry, Wang, Yang, Wang, dang, bang, bang, bang. Uh, talked about universal basic income. And, uh, we think of it as like every month I'm going to get a check for whatever that dollar amount is, or it's going to be direct deposit into my bank. Right. Well, with the, with the hopeful in their minds, hopeful implementation of CBDCs, right? The digital currency, you won't have to, it'll be automatic. Well, it'll be like direct deposit essentially, but you know, I've got a thousand dollars in my bank. Oh, look at that. It's the first of the month. I got my UBI. Bam. Got four grand in the bank now. Got my three thousand dollar payment. Cool, 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 cool. The difference is, and this very well could be a situation as to why they have not implemented this yet, as far as the UBI, the universal basic income, because they want to be able to control your money. Okay, here's your three thousand dollar monthly payment or whatever that dollar. I'm just going to use that as an example. Um. Here's your here's your money. Oh, cool! I can go buy that new gun I wanted. No, not so much. And you think, okay, well, whatever that dollar amount is, thousand, two, three, four, whatever it is, 
it's not a lot of money, you know. I mean, granted, I would take three thousand dollars a month on top of what I make, but if you don't make any money, now you're getting that. It's not that much money. Well, you still got to pay rent and car bill and all these other bills. How do they fix that? Well, that's where your 15-minute cities come into play. So I can throw a bunch of different... I can do 20 different shows about 20 different things, and they can all have to do about the same thing. Go back and listen to the 15-minute city show I did like a month or so ago. And you'll have a story of everyone's living in the city. like Not like New York, but I don't know if I talked about this on a show or not, but it was about a month or so ago in Florida uh, Tiger Woods and who in the fuck was it uh, crap I can't think of his name the guy from NSYNC Justin Timberlake there you go uh, bought they're buying like 600 something acres out in BFE Florida to build a, a, a city essentially so if you're from Florida if you're from this area they have uh, like, for example, over by Kissimmee, they have a, a city, town, whatever, called Celebration. Okay, now if you are in this area, you know what I'm talking about. But <laughs> and in and over by, like in the Tampa area in Hillsborough, they have a place called Fishhawk, Fishhawk Reserve. And they're very similar. If you've ever been to either one of these places, you would understand what I'm talking about. And if you've been to both places, you definitely understand what I'm about to say. But they're very similar. Houses are all nice. They're they're well maintained. The yards are perfect. It's almost like a Stepford Wives type situation. It's in a small community. You have your grocery stores. You have your you know you might have a Target or a Walmart, some drug stores. And essentially, you don't need to go anywhere. Everything you need, they have a hospital. They have everything that you need for that small, however many, two, three, five, ten, however many thousands of people live there. I mean, it's not a big area. You have everything you need. There's restaurants. There's everything you need. And that, when I say 15-minute cities, that's kind of what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about New York City, Chicago, uh, L.A. I'm not talking about that. When I say cities, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about these region, these areas where you're there. You don't need a car because everything's within walking distance or a bike ride. 15-minute cities means you can get from here to wherever you need to be in that city within 15 minutes of either walking or riding a bike. Notice I said riding a bike. You're not taking your car. And those of you that live in Florida know that that really sucks because it's, uh, I don't know if I have a, I don't have a temperature reading right now. I don't know if hot as balls is a proper term. So it's 90 degrees, and the feel like temperature is 95, and it's uh, 242. And it's probably going to rain any time now because <laughs> it's, you know, Florida, and it's summertime, and that's what happens. But nonetheless, um, these are the things that they're going to implement. And it's like I said, you get the CBDCs, they can control your money. Now, there's a lot of people. You could have this conversation with someone in your family, probably. And, and let's, let's just, for shits and giggles, let's say it's $3,000, okay? 
you there's you probably know somebody in your family to be like cool i'm gonna make three grand a month and i don't have to do anything <laughs> sign me up right and you might be listening to this saying yeah fuck yeah that sounds pretty good but just know that that comes with a price <laughs> just know that what is the term nothing is free right you are essentially if you give in to these programs you're essentially selling your soul to the devil for lack of a better term it's what it is I've got a radical idea for you and, I, and I'm not necessarily talking to the people listening to this because I would assume that most of you guys are hard working whether you're you know truck drivers you're working at a construction site, you're getting shit done, you know, whatever you are, whatever you are, man, woman, old, young, white, black, Hispanic, I don't care. I would assume that most of you guys are hardworking individuals. And you can understand that nothing is free. And if you work and you pay your taxes and you do all the things you're supposed to do, you gotta ask, you gotta honestly ask the question: Where's the three grand come from? Ma and money's not magically made. I mean, it seems like it is nowadays, but you know what I'm saying. It's all about control, and the best way to control people is to control their money. The middle class is shrinking. Okay. If you look, and I'll just cover this real quick and we'll close out the show. So, in, so in 1970, 61% of, of the adults in this country were what you consider middle class. Okay? So, 25% were lower income and 14% were middle or were upper. Nowadays, it's 50 in 2020 because it's based off of the um, census. 50% uh, are what you would consider middle income, middle class. 29 lower and 21 upper. So, how do you fare? Okay. So, these are household income. So if you're married, you and your wife, you and your husband, whatever. Um, it's it's y'all's gross, your combined income. Okay? If you work and your wife doesn't or your husband doesn't, then whatever. Whatever income comes into the house is what we're talking about. So lower income is pretty much under $30,000. So if your household income is under thirty grand, you are considered low income. If your income is between 30 and 90, you're considered uh, middle. So, and that's, like I said, 50% of America, it falls in that class. Now, I think of that number, and to me, <laughs> that's kind of low because your upper income is around uh, 220. 220,000 upper income. But, um, so I think, 
in all honesty, I think the baseline is the twenty nine thousand is the thirty thousand. The baseline is ninety thousand. So it's probably anything above those numbers, I'm guessing. Because ninety thousand dollars seems like more of a lower middle income. I, I, I don't wanna sound like if you're if you and your wife, you and your husband, whatever, make ninety grand a year and you probably live in a comfortable life if you don't overspend. But um that's probably the starting point of middle income. So it probably starts from that point and rises to the two hundred or so thousand dollar mark. Because upper income is only two hundred twenty thousand and it's not like there's an upper upper income. So you gotta think of how many people are, you know, millionaires or billionaires or <laughs> whatever and they're they're not even looking at two hundred twenty thousand a year. So anyway. So I mean that just gives you an idea. They're basically trying to get rid of the middle middle class, throw us all onto the lower income, but get rid of your job. So I mean essentially it comes out to like this. Depending on what you do for for a living, um, it, it's it's I don't know. I guess essentially what it boils down to is it's interesting times are ahead. We we talk about whoever the president is and what that person is doing and since Trump's been out of office look at look at everything how it steamrolled inflation right things are tough for all of us because no matter what class you fall into whatever social or not social but monetary class you fall into you're struggling because you you know, four years ago, you were, let's say you were making 50 grand a year. So you and your wife each make 50 grand. So between the two of you, you're making 100,000 a year. You think, okay, we're making pretty good money. You know, we're able to pay our bills. We go out to dinner, you know, every Friday, whatever the case may be. And, uh, you know, we have money to put in savings. Everything's fine. Then 2021 20, <laughs> comes. And everything's more expensive. Well, when we did our loan on our house, we got a adjustable rate mortgage because it was lower. But now our mortgage went from, you know, eight hundred a month to twelve hundred a month. Oh shit! The Fed just raised it again. Now it's fourteen hundred a month, right? And you're still making <laughs> your fifty thousand each. Your money didn't increase. And you have to ask the question, why? In the meantime, we're going through these crises. We Americans are going through this crisis. And we're just letting people walk into this country. Under the guise of, oh, it's America. It's a great place. We welcome your poor and your tired and your whatever. No, they're trying to wreck this place. It's what it is. If they really wanted to stop it, they could stop it. We have enough military people to put on that border and stop it. They don't want to stop it. They want us all to suffer. For whatever reason, whatever you and I or the next person did, we're but a peasant in the cog of the machine, and they want us gone. So with that being said, guys, you have a great rest of your Monday, and I will be back on uh, Wednesday. I promise. No no games, no, no nothing. I'll be here. You guys have a great day. And please make sure you follow us on social media at Don't Trade on America and you share this show. We get the word out on the Cloward Piven 
strategy and just make people aware. There's not a whole lot we can do about it other than fight the system. You guys have a great day.